So when we talk about the teaching of the apostles, what they are likely referring to is their unpacking the Old Testament for the believers. So the only scriptures they had at that time was that was the only thing they could use as a basis for their teaching and instruction was the Old Testament. as the basis for all this um, gathering, right? So the activities was the basis for fellowship, which is an essential community and partnership in Christ. So they were united in one goal, which was to be a community and to be in partnership with Christ. Breaking of bread, this right where it talks about, um, so, that, so we've seen that they were devoted uh, to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to fellowship, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. So when they talk about the breaking of bread, right, it was a common metaphor for a meal that they would eat together as a community. And it may also have included the Lord's Supper. Quite possibly at this point in time, probably not. So they were talking about if they got together as a group and they did things together that they had in common. They ate together, they fellowship with one another, and it was they a community more than just in the sense of the word that we would use community today where they're just a group of people that you know, live in the same area, quite possibly have the same interests, but they became community in the sense that they knew each other very, very well. So the last thing since they were devoted to was that they were devoted to prayer. <clears throat> so, talk about prayer. That includes the activities of session, praise, and supplication. So, they made their session and they prayed on behalf of other believers. They prayed on behalf of other people. Which is they praise God or they gave thanks to God for the things that He had done for them, and then finally supplication, which is essentially asking God to provide for their own needs. So they prayed for the needs of others. They offered. They offered thanksgiving to God for what He had already done, and then they brought their own needs before God. So all of those things were characterized early Christian worship. Right? So, 
now, now we're gonna turn to talking about all oh, the appropriate response to our holy God manifesting himself in miraculous ways. So we see that little striking change that was wrought. Change right in the heart of the beholders of the night. There was a change that was because of all this idea. This is the first document that I have someone talking about. Verse 43, because everyone was filled with all. What are the signs performed by apostles? Right? So, and we submit that one of the points I do and we fill it all with the signs of one of the apostles, but it's all the believers were together and had everything in common. And so, property and possessions to give to any, to give to anyone who. Had need. So the sharing of property, like we're talking about here, was not uncommon in Israel. In fact, some sects within Judaism went so far as to practice such community sharing. So the topic, this topic of Topic of sharing their possessions with each other will reappear in Acts chapters 4 and 5. We say voluntary act, and we're gonna see that when we get towards the end of this little four day, five day run, excuse me, where we're gonna see that happen immediately when we get to. Chapter 5, we're going to see it play a major role. So, if, uh, so we're gonna, now we're going to finish this up, right? By looking at these last two verses, which is 46 and 47, which is every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So let's unpack those two verses for just a minute, right? So the disciples' devotion was daily, and it happened every day. It wasn't a one-off thing. It happened on a daily basis. It happened every day of their life. It wasn't a, uh, today is Sunday, or today is Saturday, or today is Monday. So I need to be devoted to doing this. No, it was an everyday thing. It was joyful. That means they did it gladly, and they did it of their own free. Well, and it was sincere. That means it was how they truly felt. It wasn't something that they did just to 
make an appearance or just to appear to be doing good. It was something that was fraught from deep within them. It was something that was not hidden or covered up by wax or frozen or folded or shown and they
start with verse 1 and go through verse 4, which says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, it's 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth had been carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. Right. So let's delve into those four verses. Right. So because of the temples, Exalted position, so that would mean exalted both geographically and theologically. Going to it, going to the temple, and going to Jerusalem to see where the temple was located always involved going up. So, look here reports Peter and John's journey is being at 3 p.m. or the night. Hour. So this will be the second of three hours of prayer. So if they prayed at the ninth hour, and there were three hours of prayer, so if they prayed at 3 p.m., they also would have prayed what? at the sixth hour, which would have been noon, right? And they would have prayed at the third hour, which would have been what? 6 a.m. Following so far? Good. Alright. Okay, so they prayed at the so they would have prayed at so the first hour of prayer would have been at noon. Right. Give or take. Probably more like six o'clock. Right, so four hours and things. So we'll probably say, okay. Six, right, again, so 12 hours worth of prayer, this will be the second of three hours of prayer, so apparently, we, what we see here is that a man who was lame had some friends who regularly carried him into the temple since he was not able to get up and walk him into the temple on a daily basis to pray. So here he was brought to a specific gate, which is identified as being called beautiful, even though we don't know exactly where that gate is today, that the temple does not exist. does not exist. The temple was destroyed. The temple that existed in Jesus' day was destroyed by the AD 70 when the Romans sacked Jerusalem and it has not ever been rebuilt. In fact, the Dome of the Rock, one of the most holiest sites in the Muslim religion is in the Islam, is the 
natural location where the temple would have stood. So we don't know where this gate was located because we don't have the temple anymore. They know where a few of the gates were located because they Because it would have done the same thing. 
wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The woman disabled man, a woman disabled man, often shrewd and insensible by those of us who passed them by. And the crowd here recognized the man who was leaping present, and they recognized the man who was often said and begged the temple gate. And because he was lame, because he couldn't walk, some of this man could now walk. This evil man who entered the temple who had been coming to uh, men around coming to the temple who had to sit outside the temple begging likely for the first time ever because he'd been born blind. He'd been born lame, was now finally able to enter into the temple. So the healing of this disabled man was done by the power of Christ working through his followers. Because you see, to do something, someone is being implied being that person representative and acting with his power for power and authority. That is, Jesus had already sent to his followers concerning. He's already said this confirming his followers. And in my name, they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. And you look at 16, 17 to 18. So you see the church continue Jesus' healing ministry in obedience to his will. And this miracle was accomplished to faith. In the name of Jesus Christ, and the gifts of healing that were operating through Peter. You see, Peter said that he had no silver and he had no gold, but he was just a man of something much more valuable. Right? And so, what we have done is seen that churches that are materially prosperous are lacking spiritual power. Only consider Peter's words, and that includes not just the buildings that the church makes in the case of the church is not the building. The church is the people within the building. I guess another important makeup of the church today. can no longer sing, so long ago I did not have, nor are they truly able to sing, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And why is that? Because we don't truly ever have silver and gold offered to that poor person. Offer to that person silver and gold, offer to something. We can keep in touch and look at that person and say, I ain't got no silver, I ain't got no gold. I ain't got no money to prosperity. But what I do have, I freely give to you. 
Ganze of 
since young. So now I've picked up another 17 and go through first 21. Which says now five drugs. I know there's active drugs as enjoyable drugs, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him at the time he comes, for God to restore everything that he promised long ago through his Holy prophets. Listen here, that Peter's address shifting from his first to his Philippians rights. So he made two points that were intended to indicate they were not guilty. Not guilty, so they weren't guilty of unmade evil. Peter is saying, look, 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 you're not guilty of being pure evil, but he knows you are guilty of it. So he says, the first thing he says, is that they stand in heaven, there's active ignorance, right? They acted out of ignorance, they acted out of Ignorance, they acted out of a mistake, believing who the Messiah was supposed to be and how the Messiah was supposed to act. You see, they were looking for a political leader who was going to come and overthrow the Roman government. But what they should have been looking for was a spiritual leader was going to come and restore the world to the way it had been in the Garden of Eden. And so the second point he made was that they were not guilty of pure, unedited evil, but the suffering of the Messiah had long been predicted by all the you see, this is all part of God's plan that it couldn't have been because people are mandated evil. And this was all part of God's plan. God put a plan in place that involved pure evil life that the Messiah had to suffer. So, if the Jewish people had not cried, would have been executed anyway, because if he was executed, then God's plan would not have been fulfilled. However, even though they were not guilty of being unmitigated evil, they were not absolved of all guilt, right? Because they played their part voluntarily. 
was who was guilty of plotting to overthrow the Roman government, who was actually guilty of committing treason, like one of the holiest one of the one who was not guilty of committing treason against the Roman Empire. In the spot against the Roman Empire was committing treason against God. They chose to accept him and reject the one who was holy and who had not committed treason against God, had not committed treason against the Roman Empire. In his place, right? Oh, because they weren't absolved of their guilt, he then gave them two commands. He gave them the command to repent, and he gave them the command to turn back. So when we talk about repent, the to repent is to turn from the path of rejection, to turn from your old path, and to turn back to go towards Christ. Like Moses, they'd be 
up from among her own people, and the people of Israel were that listen to everything he would tell them. Right? So the Jewish people had been looking for a prophet like Moses. And so what we see here is that the scroll is a New Testament scripture to avoid the job of connecting the prophets and the to Jesus. We're going to find it in John chapter 6, verse 14, and in John chapter 7, verse 40. So we need to also understand that obeying this prophet, Jesus, is important. Because since the prophets from Samuel forward announced the coming of the Messiah, right? The announcements suggest that none of them were the promised prophet. So they couldn't be announcing their own coming as the Messiah, like the promised anointed one. If it was them, that would make any sense. Because you see, only Jesus could embody the one whom Moses foretold. So now we're going to pick up in verse 24 and take it to the end of chapter 3, which is verse 26. Which says, indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets, and the covenant God made with your fathers is it to Abraham, and your offspring, all peoples on earth, will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So what we see here, the hearers were the descendants of the prophets and heirs of the covenant blessings foretold to Abraham. So in verse 26, the notion of raising up is not only reference to the resurrection, it likely describes the whole process of God bringing Jesus into human history to bless Israel and to bless all people. So the blessing is explicitly tied to salvation through repentance. The means of salvation is hindered referring to Christ as his servant, a phrase used to describe the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. I was strong and urge you to read Isaiah 53 because you're going to see a lot, a lot of things in Isaiah 53 that were only ever fulfilled by Jesus. So this, that's where we're going to pick up in the room in the chapter 4. Right, is what we're gonna see in chapter four. Is we're gonna see Peter and John before the same. Huge, 
so that's what we're gonna pick up right around we're gonna split in each other before the sentences and I'm gonna move to chapter four right and so we're gonna see how people and y'all are gonna react to the political leaders of their day and we're gonna see particularly Peter react in a completely different way than the way that he reacted when he was last confronted by the same political leaders. So now we're gonna pick up next chapter 4 verse 1 and we're gonna go through verse 7. Let's start off with so which says the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them by what by what power or what name did you do this? So what we see here is the number of men who came to faith after Peter's temple sermon. Right, that's what we saw in that last section of Acts chapter 3, verse 11 to 26. So the number of men who came to faith grew to 5,000. And the apostles were arrested. So, what do we see? We're seeing that nothing was going to stop the growth of this Jesus movement. Nothing was going to stop it. It was just going to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. So, the reason the Sadducees were so strongly objected to this. To what the disciples were teaching, because they were talking about and teaching about resurrection, right? And the reason they were so diametrically opposed to this was because they denied the doctrine of resurrection altogether. And they did not believe there was any resurrection of the dead. They simply they thought that. Once you die, you died, and you were raised back up to life at the end of the world, the end of days, when the Messiah returned to rule over another three kingdoms. There was going to be no resurrection of the dead. You simply die, you have to live in heaven forever and ever and ever, or you die and you have to live 
ladies walk around with a dance or hell what y'all time you wish to use it at the time of the things like with your time hands would have been around the bed like so they don't that neither died and spent eternity in heaven and there was neither but it wasn't like go back to life or they died and they spent eternity in Hades separate from God. Those were the two choices. There was no resurrection of the dead in their doctrine. So then said the council asked about the meaning or power which would be the source and or the authority by which Peter and John acted and spoke. And so Peter then responded that it was in the name of Jesus. That's what we're going to say when we get into this next section. And so throughout this entire section of Acts chapter 4, the name of Jesus is highlighted. That's Nicole in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which is Peter's first Sermon in the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 3, verse 6, which is this miraculous and unprecedented healing that Peter and John performed. So, what we're talking about there, we see it together in those two instances. We see that the offer of salvation and the offer of healing is in. Jesus' name. Now let's move on to chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. And we say then, Peter filled the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was Lame, you know, now being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This man stands before you healed. So Peter's speech is a fulfillment of Luke 12, 12. So Luke 12, 12. So what does Luke 12, 12 say, you're wondering? I'm so glad that you asked that question. So here's what Luke 12, 12 says. It says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And so why is this a fulfillment then of what that verse teaches? Because the Spirit filled Peter with wise words to speak. His Old proclamation of Jesus and the resurrection is in stark contrast to his 
cowardly denial of Jesus to be recorded in all four Gospels. So what then is the difference between cowardly Peter and the bold Peter? If any difference is the baptism in the Spirit. Right. So now let's pick up in verses 11 and 12, right? So which says Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So in two courts, right, so let's, let's get a little deeper into these verses, right? We're not going to delve too deep into that last verse, just the one that says salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I'm not going to delve too deeply into that, because we have already delved pretty deeply into that. So we're going to be more, delve more into this right here, right? So in ancient courts, it was common to turn the tables and accuse your accusers of wrongdoing. So that was a common practice. The common practice was to say, aha, you're, oh, you're, you're, I'm the one who committed wrong. You're the one who committed wrong. See what I'm saying? So it was common practice to, to flip the script on them, so to speak, right? But it was unheard of to accuse the judges, right? Accusers are accusers of being wrong and committed a wrong, but you couldn't accuse the judges of having committed wrong, as Peter does here. So this is mentioned Psalm 118, verse 20. Here is a passage that he quotes here as the one that identifies Jesus as the stone the builders disdainfully rejected. And so the cost of this rejection is condemnation because Jesus is the only source of salvation. Now we're going to pick up 
numbers that you go through verse 18, where it says we saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were on a school. Ordinary them, they were astonished, and they took note that these and had and no Jesus. Since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered one of them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. They were laying from those they are. They have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. Stop this thing from spreading any further among the people. We must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What do we see here? What do we see here in these verses? This kind of boldness was the attitude characteristic of the elite. So we need to understand here about this, right? Because we need to understand. I know I said something different. That was because I was I was reading the entire thing on my notes there. So we need to understand that boldness was the attitude and characteristic of the elite philosophers or rhetorists. In other words, those that would make big fancy speeches, those or that those that would philosophize about things. Right? So boldness was their attitude. Boldness was their characteristic because they were smart and they were highly educated. And this this that that this was the stance of the apostles, that they were so bold as to make these statements. It was surprising because they were unschooled in these things. They were not smart, they were illiterate. They could read, they could write, they were just unschooled in how to form these arguments. They were unschooled. And the things that the Pharisees and Sadducees were schooled in. And more important, they were lazy people. They hadn't been trained in schooling. And these are the men who had been trained. They were not clerics. They were all members of the Hallelujah Kings. So the recognition of the fullness of Jesus, right? Suggests that there may have been some sort of training outside of official schools. And that to some degree they were taking on the mantle of Jesus in this proclamation. So this was the substance of the council's prohibition not to speak in Jesus' name. So what the council forbade was they forbade them from both public and private speech about 
Jesus. Sweet John. Just a little number one see how they replied to this in verses 19 and I say, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So listen, the people responded in the form of a total question. You know, when they questioned, they wouldn't. No, no, they didn't answer that question. This was not a question that was designed to be answered. This people essentially throwing a question out there, essentially in a way of rebuking this council, right? Which is part of the essence of what the state was. So if the state was a commitment to God, but it was also a rebuke with the council, because if it was the council saying, don't listen to what God has told you, because God brings a tent or something like that, you listen to what we tell you, because we have to use God, we're the ones that got the student, we're the ones that got the education, so you should listen to us and not listen to these voices that are inside your head that are telling you to do all these crazy things and the apostles were hearing the voices inside their head telling them to do crazy things because that would have made them hear the same thing what they were was boldly empowered by the Holy Spirit to spread the word of God so when Peter gives this talk question by saying which is right in, God, in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, he wasn't expecting the council to answer to that. He was rebuking the council for that man who ignored God and listened to the Indians to that man. So Peter so Peter is here essentially affirming the apostles coming to obey God rather than people. Or to obey God rather than people. So we are still doing what Jesus said, which was to render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, and to render unto God that which belongs to God. Right? However, however, this rebuke. Peter gives what's softened in a conditional statement, right? Right? So that's where it comes down, uh, which is like God's eyes to listen to him. You be the judges of the word decide. Is it bad to listen to you? Or is it bad to listen to God? Right? 
as well as because I was taking a team and heard. So he made a kind of conditional statement. He said, if we reach judges or what's right for you, then we'll be the judges or what's right for us. Meaning, you decide for yourself whether or not it's better to obey God or to obey the will of man. Do you make a decision for yourself? We will make a decision for ourselves, but you stay out of our business and think of what people are saying. So by making this a heinous conditional statement, but it still defines the minds of the council and the disobedience to God. As a sentence by him was obviously not fake. Which is how this verse ends because he says, For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Right? The council had no choice. people and have been persecuted 
for it. And from response to this was a spirit but a scripture saturated prayer so we had a good old fashioned prayer meeting after Peter and John came back and told them what had happened. So they address God here as sovereign. So that's a term that appears frequently in the Greek, Greek Old Testament. It emphasizes the rule of God. So what the poem was doing here is they were underscoring God's sovereignty by a further description of God as creator. So now we're going to pick up in verse 25 and go through verse 28. It says, You spoke by the Holy Spirit in the mouth of your servant, our Father David. Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate went together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what the people of power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So, in their prayer, which we have continued here, the believer cited Psalm 2, and they identified Pontius Pilate and Herod as the hostile kings and rulers of the Psalm. So we see here that Jesus is the Christ. He was the anointed one whom the leaders from these hostile kings would align themselves against. However, however, what we also see is that the actions of these rulers were a doomed rebellion. It was doomed from the beginning. Like this rebellion would not go on, this rebellion would not continue, this rebellion would not succeed, this rebellion would be doomed. And so now let's pick up in verse 29 and go through verse 31. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were in was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. the context of what this is taking place in, the requests of the believers are starting to the request that they may use in the midst of hostility 
they did not ask for personal safety. So if they didn't ask for personal safety, then what did they ask for? What they asked for instead was they asked for God to consider threats against them. So when we say consider, when they say they asked God to consider the threats against them, they were asking God to think about, to be aware of the threats against them. It means that God protect us from the threats against us. God considered threats against us. God knew more about the threats against us. Take them into account when you do these things for us. That is what those people were asking that what the believers were asking for. They were asking for God to consider to take into account the threats against him. The second thing that makes it so startling was that they asked for continued boldness to evangelize their country. They didn't ask for the threat to go away, which would be asking for their personal safety, but they asked that they would have boldness. They would be bold enough, they would be strong enough, they would be willing enough to carry on with the calling they had received to evangelize their country. Something that we must modern day questions, modern day followers of Christ would do. Well, to remember, we don't need to ask for our personal safety. We need to ask for God to consider threats against us, to take into account the threats against us. We need to ask for continued boldness to continue our mission. And the third thing these people ask for these things believes Christ asked for they ask God to grant signs and wonders to confirm their message. So many of us modern day followers of Christ we ask for to us even in this day and age. People still will ask for signs and wonders. Why? Because we live in a world where you gotta present evidence Shaken. 
existence of that shaking of this building was palpable or tangible or tangible was a tangible manifestation of the spirit. So what we also say is the feeling of the disciple was the individual manifestation and the shaking of the building was the tangible manifestation of the spirit. Thank you. 
anyone as poor among yourselves as your likes, any of the towns and the land the Lord your God has given you. Do not be hard hearted or tight stick toward his enemy. Rather be open handed and freely lending whatever they need. So that's what Deuteronomy fifteen four through eight says. So what we see here is that this new community was fulfilling the mandates God gave to Israel. So we see Barnabas as an example of generosity is noted as being exceptional. So Luke translates his name as son of encouragement or son of ex- exhortation, which probably indicates indicate Barnabas' skill as a preacher. And so the generosity that we see here of Barnabas is going to serve as a stark contrast to the greetings of the two people you will meet move into Acts chapter 5. Okay, move into Acts chapter 5. And so, what you need to read for your Bible readings to get you prepared for that is you need to read 1 Chronicles 11, 1. 1218 and chapter 28, Psalm 9, 1 to 12, and Proverbs 19, 1 through 3. 